Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast with John Dooley. We are going to be reviewing week two's games with a look towards week three. And this week, we're going to do it a little bit differently, where we're going to combine, excuse me, oh my, what was that? I just had a little bit of a verbal accident right at the start. Uh, We're going to go over the week two games, and then we're going to talk about uh, what's coming up in week three as well. And I have to make an apology because, I mean, I think I essentially lied to you guys, right? I was sitting here saying last week, if there is one week that you can take off as far as games are concerned, it's easily week two. And what happened? We wound up having some massive upsets, a lot of great games. We're going to talk about some of those upsets that took place, but some ones that are outside of the Midwest. You know, obviously we saw what happened between Appalachian State and Texas A&M. A big, big issue in the SEC. A huge weekend for the Sun Belt. And we'll be talking, obviously, about what took place with uh, Notre Dame and Marshall amongst some other games. So let's get started. Uh, and we're going to start off... Uh, and, you know, this is this is not done in any particular order. I think I do this based on uh, the times the games were completed, and then I look towards the games of the next week. So we're going to start off with Ohio State and how they looked against Arkansas State. The Bucks able to come away with a 45-12 to win. A lot of this game was kind of a slog, and it was kind of expected because you're looking at C.J. Stroud, who's getting used to a new receiving core and trying to play without Jackson Smith and Jigba, who they just announced should be back, or they're going to try to get him back for this upcoming week. Um, So we'll see how that goes for the Bucs. But a 45-12 to win, uh, maybe a little bit to note, if you weren't really looking at the game or if you were doing some other stuff, this was was just a 17-9 to game late in the second uh, quarter. And then Stroud found Harrison for a 42-yard touchdown pass. Uh, It was 45-12 by the end of three quarters, so it was pretty much done by then. Uh, Stroud had a pretty good game though, even shorthanded with his receiving core. He went 16 for 24 for 351 and four touchdowns. And Marvin Harrison Jr. showed up big. Seven catches for 184 and three touchdowns. So a huge game for him. And, you know, this is one of those weird things where you, you kind of wonder if this wasn't the best case scenario. They're able to beat Notre Dame without Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then they have to play a game without him and get some receivers some additional time. There's some more pressure on some guys who aren't used to having that pressure. And I think it's going to make the entire receiving core that much better. Uh, So the injury may have actually been a blessing in disguise for them. Uh, 12 tackles for loss by Ohio State's defense. Uh, But there is some cleaning up to do. I mean, they had nine penalties for 85 yards. As I mentioned before, checking in with this game couple times throughout the game, uh, it was just a bit of a slog. Uh, Arkansas State was 5 of 20 on third down, so they were able to get off the field quite a bit and and do pretty well for themselves. But overall, for the Bucs, probably not the game that they wanted. Now, next week, they're going to be hosting the Toledo Rockets. They're 32-point favorites, and this is kind of an interesting game. Uh, Toledo is listed as the top team by a lot of publications in the MAC this year. I still think Northern Illinois at the end of the day is going to be the best team in the conference. I think they're going to win the MAC, uh, by the way, because we do talk a little bit about the MAC and the Missouri Valley football conference, and we'll be giving them some more time as we move into the conference seasons. Uh, for those that weren't aware, the Huskies lost to Tulsa in a close game last weekend. Uh, Tulsa is a pretty solid team. So it was a pretty good showing, but, uh, 
Toledo's listed as the top team in the MAC West this year. They're returning 15 starters from a seven and six team. Uh, you may recognize some names if you're an Ohio State fan as we go into this game. Dallas Gant uh, is a transfer from Ohio State that's on Toledo. Um, you may remember uh, Penny Boone, who came from UMD, who's a running back as well. Uh, Daquan Finn is their QB, and he's very athletic. Uh, he's a dual-threat QB. And uh, most of their top defenders have returned. Um, they haven't really played anybody yet. And I think the line, they put the line on this game at 32. And I think one of the reasons was uh, Ohio State was kind of sloppy at times against Arkansas State. And I think they want to clean some stuff up and make a statement before they get into conference play. And I think that's where the focus is going to be. I think they're looking for a stronger performance. But Toledo's a good team. So I'm kind of surprised it's as high as 32, honestly. Uh, I'd kind of sit this game somewhere between uh, 21 and 28, but that's where it's at. So I'm not giving you picks, but I'm kind of telling you where I think they might wind up. So that's kind of the the gist in regards to Ohio State. Obviously, no issues, although based on some other games we saw earlier in the week, now we're looking at Notre Dame and that loss to Marshall, which we'll talk a little bit later as well, and the Fighting Irish uh, and that went over them, maybe not looking as illustrious, but I think that's kind of BS. I think Ohio State played a fairly vanilla game and beat Notre Dame playing a fairly simple game. I don't really think they showed a lot of cards in that game, and I think that was done purposefully. They're kind of waiting to develop a lot more of their playbook as they go throughout the year. And if they didn't have to show all their cards, they weren't going to. And they kind of didn't have to. Uh, They were able to take the ball down Notre Dame's throat and win that game as the game went on. So Ohio State in good position going forward. Some of the early games that maybe you you missed because there was so much other action going on in college football on Saturday and so many other storylines. Minnesota whipped Western Illinois 62 to 10, as I mentioned last week. Western's kind of a bottom half Missouri Valley team this year. They've they've been known for so many years having a great program in 1AA and in the FCS, and they've kind of struggled these last five to seven years or so. It's not the same program that it used to be. Uh, If you're a Minnesota fan, I think the one thing that you love to see, along with all of the consternation that's taking place right now in the Big Ten West, is that Tanner Morgan's looked really good in these two games. And this one, he was 14 of 18 for 287. You know, Ibrahim did what he does, 130 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, The next were held to... One for 13 on third down. The Gophers pounded him with over 300 yards on the ground. Um, You know, that's the performance you want to see. Now, are you going to show much of a test when you're playing New Mexico State and Western Illinois? No, we're not really finding out too much about Minnesota. But they are winning these games in a way that a good team beats bad teams. I I always put a focus on that. And people try to poo-poo it and say it's not a big deal. But I think it matters a lot whenever you see one of these teams that's kind of a middling team. Nobody's sure what to make of them, a team like a Minnesota. Also a team like a Maryland, where we look at them and we say, okay, they're returning a decent amount of their roster. We know they've got some talent on their roster, but where where are they really? And when you're playing these lesser opponents, you want to see that they're able to take care of business and take care of business quick. And that's what they've done. So I'm not saying get excited about Minnesota, but I am saying when we're looking at the Big Ten West and all that consternation that's taking place on that side of the conference, uh, I don't think we can really ignore them. Now, 
They have an interesting game this weekend. They're playing Colorado, and this is not the Eric B. Enemy Colorado squads. This is not Cordell Stewart. Uh, this is not the Colorado teams that you remember. If you're my age from your childhood, Colorado has taken uh, quite the dip, and that's why the Gophers are 27.5-point favorites. Uh, the Buffs are a pretty bad offensive team. They did return 12 starters from a 4-8 squad. Um, JT Shrout won their QB battle from Brendan Lewis, and um, he hasn't really been that good. He just has not been that good of a quarterback for the Buffs. Uh, and if you look at the team, and I'm trying to be kind, but uh, they're pretty bad across the board. They were supposed to have a pretty solid running game. Uh, one of the things on their team was that, you know, Jarek Broussard was leaving to go to Michigan State. So if you're a Spartan fan, you you know that name. He came from Colorado. But they haven't really been getting good production out of it. And it's really tough when teams don't respect your quarterback. So uh, Minnesota should not have an issue in this game. But like we saw last week with some other Big Ten teams against Pac-12 opponents, it didn't really go the way that we thought it was going to go. So uh, a pretty good uh, performance I'm expecting for Minnesota in this game. But I think they've got to kind of make a statement in these next couple of weeks to say, hey, we think that we can be the team to beat in the Big Ten West. So things looking up for Minnesota. The game that really disappointed me and was my game to really focus on in the early slot was the Duke Northwestern game. The Blue Devils defeated Northwestern 31-23. to And this game unfortunately ended really in the first half hour. Duke jumped out to a 21 to nothing lead within the first couple of plays of the second quarter. And uh, from that point on, I'll be perfectly honest, Northwestern was the better team. Northwestern was the better team for most of that game. I'm not buying any stock in Duke. I think Temple is a terrible team that they beat them in the first, that they beat in the first week, 30 to nothing. Um, I think they've got a solid QB. I think they've got a good team. I think they're well coached. I think Northwestern just didn't show up. And that's really a shame. That just can't happen. They were able to close this game to 21-16. And um, they just didn't make the plays when they needed to. Now, Helensky threw for 435. I know he was 36 of 60. So, you know, you got to take that into consideration as well. Evan Hall is a force. So I don't know if you guys saw. This is probably one of the quietest stats from the weekend. He caught 14 passes for 213 yards. He went 14 for 213 and he ran for 65. I mean, the guy is a all-around power back who you can move in a lot of places. What was really disappointing in this game was Cam Porter. Cam Porter was damn good against Nebraska and he really did not show up in this game. He was not good. They highlighted him for five or six plays and he got blown up every single time. And Good job by Duke. They obviously watched the film and said, we can't let this dude beat us. He's fast, he's powerful, he's physical, and uh, we're not. We're going to know when he's on the field. And they just haven't divvied up the load enough to make Porter uh, effective in my in my mind. And um, hey, Halinski did a good job. For those of you who watched the game, Halinski's a little different. He doesn't have the best ball. Some balls that come out of his hands, it's kind of like a lollipop effect. Um, he's got to get it out quickly. And when the ball gets out, it's not the frozen rope that you see from some of the quarterbacks or it's not C.J. Stroud's ball or anything like that. Now, because he's smart and because he knows the offense and he looks so comfortable back there, um, they're going to be good offensively. And what's crazy about this is that even though it was a devastating loss, and for those who didn't watch the game, Evan Hall got a reception 
uh, in the last minute of the game, was racing to the goal line and at the one-yard line, down 31-23, to had the ball knocked out. It would have been 31-29. to They would have been able to go for two and go for the tie, and it didn't happen. I mean, a really devastating loss. It really felt like Northwestern was going to make that jump in this game, and they just could never get to the point where they were going to you know, be able to overtake Duke and win. It just really, really disappointing. And um, they're going to have to regroup this week. They're playing Southern Illinois. That's my school. I know more about SIU probably than any other school in the country. I'm probably the only person who can say that. SIU is coming off an extremely disappointing loss to Southeast Missouri. This is a team that started the year in the top 10 of the FCS. They were thought by many to probably be around that three or four slot in the Missouri Valley. But they really struggle on their lines. So because of that, I'm really expecting Northwestern to pound the ball on the ground. Um, I, I'm kind of expecting a methodical win by Northwestern. I would say somewhere around uh, 38 to 3. Uh, SIU does have some playmakers. Um, but the problem is, is their offensive and defensive lines aren't good. Uh, they're not in shape. They get worn down easily. It's supposed to be 85 on Saturday, and I don't see them doing well in the big environment. It's really sad because SIU was one of the top teams in the FCS the last three years, and uh, they're just not looking too good. So uh, Northwestern should be able to get be able to right the ship uh, as they move into uh, this next upcoming wave in their schedule that they're going through. So I'm not done. I'm not quitting on them. I thought that they were going to be a little bit down this year and they really, these two games, even though it was a loss to Duke, even though a lot of people think Duke is down, I think Northwestern can still kind of put it together. And I kind of like what I'm seeing. Uh, the other early game slot that we saw that I thought would be a little bit closer than what it was, was Penn state over the Ohio Bobcats 46 to 10, uh, Nicholas Singleton ripped off some big runs. He had a 70-yard touchdown run in this game. He went 10 for 179 with two touchdowns. The Lions were able to get uh, their backup QBs in, which was nice Which was nice with um, uh, Elar and uh, Veyu. So uh, they combined to go 12 of 15 for 125 and two touchdowns. Both guys were able to get in there and get some work and kind of save Clifford for this week. Um you know, across the board, and I mentioned this before the season, that the MAC was going to be a little down. So I think some of these Big Ten MAC uh, matchups are going to look more like a Big Ten team facing a middle-rung FCS team. I think the MAC is, at, uh, as far as the talent is concerned, outside of the top couple teams like Toledo and NIU, it's kind of taken a significant um, dip. And it's been kind of slowly happening over the last 20 years. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, Mac team can't go out and beat a Big Ten team. It just feels less and less likely as the years have gone on. Uh, Penn State, looking forward on their schedule, uh, they have a big game this week going to Auburn. And this is not the top Auburn teams that you remember in your past. Bo Jackson is not going to show up. Cam Newton is not going to be there. You are not going to see Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown run onto the field. Uh, the Tigers barely got by San Jose State 24 to 16. Now, they did return 13 starters from a, a 500 team last year, but they've got a bad passing game. And uh, that's not good when you're facing the secondary of Penn State. So uh, I think this is going to be a rough day for the Auburn passing game. Uh, and I think Clifford can go to town on this defensive backfield uh, that's very inexperienced for Auburn as well. 
Uh, TJ Finley's been ugh, so far for the Tigers. Now, Penn State's favored by three at Auburn, so that's pretty impressive. But uh, it's going to be Clifford and Tinsley. It's going to be up to them. It's going to be up to getting the lead early in this game. And also being aware of the Auburn pass rush. So if there is one uh, factor that the Lions are going to have to look at this week, it is that that Auburn pass rush and how quick even these middle-of-the-road SEC teams, even the middle-of-the-road SEC teams are just dynamic with their speed, especially on the defensive line. I would say that that's probably the one area of the game where you see the difference. Uh, yeah, are there better skilled players in the SEC? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would say that. But I think the biggest change in the last five to 10 years has really been on the defensive lines. The one thing the Big Ten could always say is, well, you know, we play the game in the trenches. You know, we graduate great players in the front seven and great offensive linemen and good running backs. But man, it feels like, especially on that defensive line, you've seen that jump in talent in the SEC over the last couple of years. So a big week coming up for the Lions. Uh, other games that we saw, and we're going to kind of jump around now because I'm moving later on, later on in the day on Saturday. Easily one of the most disappointing results, uh, not just of this game, but of the year. Uh, Washington State knocking off Wisconsin 17-14. to I told you guys last week, you know, a lot of people feeling the Cougars uh, probably going to be one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 in 2022. And... Um, in a bad, and let's call it what it is, in a bad Pac-12. So one of the worst teams in the Pac-12, in a bad Pac-12, facing this Wisconsin team that everybody said, hey, they're just here and they're just going to reload. Um, I told you last week, watch out for Nakia Watson. He's a Wisconsin transfer. He wants to get some revenge, and that's what happened. He had two big touchdowns in the game. But I think the story of this game is, because when you, if you look at the stats of this game, and I was kind of bouncing in and out with this game, and then I watched it a little bit later as well, uh, Wisconsin, their heads didn't seem in it, which is weird. You know, you're not playing Illinois State again. I mean, you are playing a P5 team. Like, you have to still strap it on when you're playing a P5 team. It doesn't matter. These are the top collegiate athletes in all of college football. you got to be ready to play. And to play in a game like this and to have 11 penalties for 106 yards, I believe it was, to turn the ball over three times, it's not good enough. To have your special teams fall short on a 43-yard field goal. That's a problem. You know, you're throwing. And yeah, some of it's bad luck as well, right? You get an interception. You you get the interception. The ball gets jarred loose. You lose the ball in the interception. Yeah, there's freak things that happen during the game. But uh, we talked about, you know, if Graham Martz could just be that consistent quarterback. But if I showed you this line before the game, if I said that he was going to go 18 for 31 with 227 and two TDs, what would you say? You'd be like, oh, we're good. We're good. There's no way that we're losing this game. But Wisconsin had big penalties in key situations, um, big turnovers in key situations, um, just not consistent and did not look like a well-coached or prepared team. And that's a pretty big problem. That's a big when we're we're looking at the Big Ten West, okay? We're looking at the mess that is the Big Ten West that is just waiting for Wisconsin once again to just pick it up, put it on the back of Braylon Allen, and go all the way to the Big Ten championship game. And it certainly didn't look like they were up to the task this past weekend. Now, this week, they're going to get healthy. They're playing New Mexico State. New Mexico State isn't a good team. But I will tell you what New Mexico State is. 
is they're a well-coached team. They're coached by Jerry Kill, the former coach at Minnesota. He coached NIU and SIU. That team's going to be ready to play. So you really need to strap it on and you need to play hard and you need to beat them at the point of attack. Because if you don't, it's going to be like a 38-13 to game. And that's not what Badger fans want to see right now. You got to... You got to really show up and make a statement and get back on track because what happened last week, there's really no excuse for that. Uh, moving right along now to some games in the Big Ten East. Uh, Maryland took care of Charlotte 56 to 21. You may have seen in previous years, Charlotte like fairly decent. They're not that good this year. Uh, Talia kind of showed that 27 of 31 for 391, four touchdowns. The offense is clicking. They've been clicking for the first couple of games. I told you they're kind of my sleeper in the Mac East. They're not going to win the, the, the Mac East. <laughs> they're the sleeper in the Big Ten East. I don't think they're going to win. They're not going to you know, surprise anybody to that area. But um, you know, it's going to be an interesting look for them. I, I, you know, I, I'm really excited to kind of see what they're going to do uh, this week. Every week I'm interested to see what Maryland's going to do and how they're going to build on their upcoming games. Now, this week is very interesting. They're playing uh, SMU. So they're playing Southern Methodist, and they're just three-and-a-half-point favorites. This is the perfect game that you want if you're a Terps fan. Uh, SMU's probably right at about the same level. You get them on your turf, and it's a really good chance to see where the program's at. Um, SMU's got probably the best quarterback in Conference USA. Now, this is a team that just returned 13 starters from an 8-4 and four squad. they got a solid defensive line. If you're looking for some names to follow in this game, look out for Levelston and Chapman, solid defensive lineman for the Mustangs. they got a first-year coach in Rhett Lashley. Uh, he's got a fantastic receiver, by the way, in Rache Rice. Really one of the sleeper receivers, not just in Conference USA, by the way, but in the U.S. So keep your eyes on him as well. But um, not the best defense, which is good for Talia. So this is going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be a fun game to watch in College Park. Um, and I think it's a huge step for Maryland if they can get a win in this game. This is a perfect matchup game for them to kind of give us a good gauge as we go into Big Ten play. And Tanner Mordecai is uh, one of the names to watch out for as a quarterback uh, in the country as well. So if you're looking for good quarterback play and kind of see where Talia is, as he kind of builds throughout this year, uh, I think that's a good game to keep your tabs on as well. So good luck to the Terps in that one. Uh, one team that did not need luck was Michigan State. The Spartans pounded Akron 52 to nothing. I think I've mentioned this before. Akron's bad. I, I think they might be the worst team in the MAC. Uh, Berger and Broussard have done a pretty good job. You know, at the start of the year, I think a lot of people were leaning to towards Broussard being kind of the key guy. And Burgers kind of showed it early on. They outgained him 260 to 22. I mean, this game was just a um, a total blowout. I mean, it was 52 to nothing by the end of the third quarter. So it was a pretty bad beatdown. And I think everybody in East Lansing and people around Michigan were waiting for this week because they get a little bit better of a test to see where they're at. Uh, they'll be going to Seattle to face the Washington Huskies. And the Huskies are actually a three and a half point favorite. This is going to be the national game that's on at 630. But I think injuries are kind of the big question mark right now for the Spartans. Uh, you know, Darius Snow, as many of you know, is out for the year. Um, Xavier Henderson is questionable and Jaden Reed should play. So we got that notification that Jaden Reed should play at receiver. And that's huge. They really need him. They need players like Kendall Brooks to step up uh, with these injuries. Uh, but the Huskies have a good team. They got a good defensive line. I mean, they were just 4-8 and eight last year. 
you know, they, they returned 13 starters, starters, which is kind of a, um, uh, a middling thing, but, uh, Jackson Kirkland, who's, you know, borderline all American left tackle who plays for the Huskies. He's going to play. He actually missed their first couple of games. Uh, and really a big boon for them is going to be a familiar name. Michael Penix, the former IU quarterback is back and he's ready to strut his stuff again against Michigan State. And, you know, he's working with Kalen DeBoer, who is, you know, one of the former offensive masterminds of the Hoosiers as well, who worked with Penix previously. So I know a lot of fans in Indiana will be kind of keeping tabs on that game as well and seeing how good that Washington team looks. I think that's one of the more intriguing games. I mean, I'll be watching Maryland SMU, but I will definitely be keeping an eye on Michigan State and Washington as well. So that's another exciting game as we head up into the upcoming week. Uh, if you weren't blinded by the Iowa defense a couple weeks ago, you may have been blinded this past week when Iowa State was able to defeat them 10-7. to I was watching this game and I was thrilled. Iowa State gets a big play early. They get the turnover. Two plays, boom, they're in the end zone. It's 7 to nothing, and you're thinking it's here. Iowa's using their big playmaking abilities on special teams and on defense to get the ball back and, you know, make those big plays to win. And uh, they weren't able to do it. The Hawks' defense was on the field so much that they had gave up 99-yard drive to seal the game at the end. Um, Iowa had just 150 total yards and 11 first downs. And we looked at um, we looked at Ferentz's, uh we looked at Kirk Ferentz and his uh, family member offensive coordinator, and uh, had to hear this week that oh you know we'll try to we'll try some new things we'll we'll give it a shot. Well, they're going to need more than a couple things for uh, to give a shot here. Now Iowa State's not a bad team by any stretch. But I think most people were expecting that the Hawks would take at least a step forward uh, and look better than they did against South Dakota State. And it just didn't happen. Now, they're facing a Nevada team. And here's what gets me. So I, I this line, and I could be wrong. Now, Iowa's favored by 23. Now, Nevada lost last week to FCS Incarnate Word. Now, Incarnate Word, just to let you know, might be next to North Dakota State the best team in the FCS. They have major college football players on that team. And I told you before to remember this name, Lindsey Scott. He's a quarterback at Incarnate Word. I don't know what he's going to do in the NFL, but I know he's going to get invited to a camp. I don't know if he's going to play in the NFL or what he's going to be but he's a name you want to keep out for. This guy is the real deal. And they are developing some uh, some sort of a team at Incarnate Word. They've gone from like NAIA to FCS and shoot, I think they're shooting for the national championship this year. And they're going to try to bust out UTSA as being kind of the team of uh, San Antonio. But the Wolfpack only returned six tar- starters from an eight and five team. Uh, big news, you know, Iowa defensive back Jamari, uh, Jamari Harris is out for the year. Uh, Nico Raggiani is going to be out for this year as well. Um, you know, I think one thing about Nevada is that they have a bad offensive line. Uh, Toa Tawa is, uh, one of their running backs who's pretty solid. Uh, he's very well respected around the mountain West. So he's a name to, to keep a lookout for as well. Um, so I, you know, Iowa should be able to dominate this game. I feel on the defensive side of the ball, but Nevada has been shown to score some points. So I think if there's one team for the Iowa offense to face, I think Nevada is the gift of that team. Let's just hope with their shorthanded receiving core that they're able to do something because, uh, 
It's not looking too good in Iowa City these days, so we'll see if the Hawks are able to rebound after that really rough loss and losing the Cyhawk Trophy last week. Other games that we saw, and honestly, maybe the most impressive performance by a Big Ten team this week was by Illinois. The Illini beat Virginia 24-3. Chase Brown did it again, very very consistent on his behalf, 20 carries for 146 yards. Uh, They were able to shut down Brennan Armstrong, which I thought was pretty amazing. I think Brennan Armstrong, to me, whenever I've watched him in a lot of games, he's shown a lot of talent. But the Illini were just dominant in the first half. The the Cavs were just one of 16 on third down. And um, Illinois looked pretty good, man. They looked really focused. They looked like a team that was ready to go. They're actually off this week. um, And they can kind of help regroup. I'm still going back to that Indiana game because you get the feeling... You get the feeling that that's the game that's going to hold them back. You know, it was there for the taking and they just didn't do enough to win the game. And so that stills a, a frustrating and, and has a bad taste in your mouth. But hey, to be two and one after three games, it uh, it could be worse. Uh, they did play three, you know, FBS opponents, so they didn't uh, take anybody lightly. Purdue was able to beat a uh, Indiana State team that's on the rebound after some tragic events in the summer. The Boilers won 56 to nothing. You know, I tell you this much, Charlie Jones is thankful to no longer be at Iowa. Uh, he had nine catches for 133 and three touchdowns. And um, Aiden O'Connell was pretty solid going 17 of 19 for 211 and four touchdowns. And I'm excited to see what the Boilers can do in these upcoming games. And they are another interesting Big Ten game this week. I think this stuff just gets, uh, there's four or five really interesting games to look at this week. And one of them is the game that Purdue's going to be playing in at 11 a.m. at Syracuse. Uh, the Orange are one-point favorites. Uh, and the Orange were predicted to finish at the bottom of the ACC. Uh, Sean Tucker's a solid running back. Michael Jones is one of the best linebackers in the ACC. But any preview you looked at talked about, up. Oh, they've got this weak quarterback play. And we, we don't have faith in their quarterback, uh, Garrett Schrader. And he's been solid. I mean, he's been fantastic. Um Stephon Thompson, starting linebacker, is out. So that's something to kind of keep a uh, keep an eye on as well. Um, but they returned 17 starters from a 5-7 and seven squad. So it wasn't like the cupboard was bare for this orange team that was returning. And, you know, quite frankly, they've been impressive. They played really good games. And uh, I think they really want to make a statement uh, against Purdue. So we'll see what happens in the Purdue-Syracuse matchup. We'll see if they're able to... Uh, Get a win. Honestly, if Purdue wins this game, that's a good win. It's a good win based on the two the two games that I've kind of watched Syracuse on the periphery. To go into that environment and get a win, that's a good win for the program. So no one should be poo-pooing that game uh, as that goes on as well. Other results that we saw. Oh, I told you last week. I told you last week how important the Rutgers-Wagner game was going to be. If there was one place to be in America, it was in Piscataway, New Jersey for the big matchup between Rutgers and Wagner. And let me tell you this, man. And I know they've had a huge... Because I follow all the Rutgers social media accounts because I have no life. I mean, let's be honest, folks. I do a Big Ten Midwest podcast. I watch a bunch of college football. I love my kids. I spend a ton of time with them whenever I can. And um, they might be bitter at me for the amount of football that (laughs) that I'm watching with them. You know, we'll play games and stuff while we're watching games and things like that. But... uh, I follow. I bring this up because I follow the Rutgers social media accounts, and I don't know anybody who's not a Rutgers fan who does this and keeps tabs of these things. But they're really focused on, 
you know, the participation from the student body. And, you know, Shiano was big on that before. And they got 47,000 fans out for this game. They're playing flipping Wagner. Now, I don't know if they were giving away something of what was going on, but uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, they still have that uh, injury to their quarterback uh, that happens. So they are rotating time between Simon and Wimsett. And Simon's more of the traditional quarterback. And he was solid, 10 of 13 for 155 and 2. And then Wimsat's a little bit more of a dual threat guy. Uh, even though he was only 4 of 11, he, he ran for 62 yards. So Rutgers was up for it. They were intense. That, I, to me, that's the sign of a well-coached team. You're playing a team like Wagner. You have every right in the world to just not care. To just be like, eh, whatever. We got some bigger games coming up in the upcoming weeks. They could have just cashed their chips and been like, whatever. They didn't do that. They had nine tackles for a loss. They outgained him 328 to 19 on the ground. Five guys had over 40 yards rushing. So, I mean, just a really good, well done game by the Scarlet Knights as they go into their game this week. And uh, I think Rutgers, uh, they're going to Temple. And as I told you many times before, I think Temple's a really bad team. The Knights are only favored by 17 and a half. I got a pretty good vibe that they're going to take care of that. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I, if I don't have to watch Temple this year, I'm, I'm not going to. They're probably going to be towards the bottom of their conference. So uh, Rutgers should be able to get another win and be able to put an extra feather in their cap as they move along. I think the big story in the Big Ten, and I was debating whether I should, should lead with this, but uh, I chose not to, is obviously the firing of Scott Frost. Uh, Georgia Southern defeated Nebraska 45-42. to um, so what do I think of the firing of Scott Frost? There has been a lot of whispers that have come out recently about what Frost was able to do and what Frost was not able to do. And that there were some questions about his commitment to the program. That um, some of the articles that I've read of him not... Him saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to call this recruit and then not calling the recruit. Or we're going to have this installed by Thursday for the game and telling the media that and then not putting it in. And then the coach is wondering, is this guy going to put this in because he talked about it all week and we haven't done it at all? Uh, just really absent-minded stuff from him. And it's such a shame because this is a guy that was so beloved by the school, kind of like a hero almost of the school and um, had success before. And that's why it's really tough for me to believe a lot of these rumors about work ethic because here's what a lot of people at Nebraska and a lot of people at Michigan and a lot of people at Ohio State and Notre Dame fans don't want to admit. I understand that you have the tradition and that you're the premier schools, but no matter what job you have, if you are a head football coach at a college football program that's in the FBS and probably even in the FCS, your job as college football coach, 24-7, 365. The only thing that's different between coaching at a Notre Dame or coaching at a Michigan and maybe coaching at Illinois State is the pressure. The pressure is the difference, right? And that's a, that's a big, that's a big uh, variable that's there. The media commitments that you have, the people that you have to talk to, the alumni that you're in interaction with, the recruiting that takes place, everything is bigger on that end. But as far as game preparation is concerned, it's still the same. It's still the same. You still have to put the same amount of time and work into it. 
So that's why I look at his successes that he had in Florida and I say to myself, well, he should have been able to, to, it couldn't have been a work ethic issue if he was able to win down there. So then really the question then becomes, who did he have around him? You know, did he surround himself when he got to Nebraska around a bunch of yes men? If people were going to the athletic director and asking for help, why weren't they going to him? You know, were they afraid of going to him or asking him for questions? You know, that just sounds like it's a cultural issue that's there. And they haven't been able to solve this since they they, they really, they really bleeped up the Solich rehire after Osborne. They never recovered from that. You know, Bo Pelini was a solid coach. He's a good guy, had some games go against him. Well-intentioned dude. I mean, really the Callahan thing was really what really kind of just just kind of took the took the university on a trajectory that it didn't need to go on. And um, they just haven't really been able to recover since then. And people always mention that when I actually go back to Solich and, um, you know, looking at nine and three and thinking that it's a failure. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens going forward and, and for the different uh, uh, coaching suggestions that come in. Once again, Nebraska's kind of in a situation that Notre Dame was in before they got Brian Kelly. People would bring in a bunch of names and they would say, oh, well, well, they're going to go for this guy or they're going to go for that guy. And it's at the point now where it's such a tough job. It's really tough for people to want that job. That being said, they're playing Georgia Southern. And that place is at capacity. I mean, that place is like at or near capacity for Georgia bleeping Southern. That's insane. That's nuts. I mean, there's so many programs that would die for that level of attendance. I know there's not, people juggle, there's nothing else to do in Nebraska. But I mean, there, I mean, it is still Lincoln, Nebraska. There's still some other things to do, you know? So uh, they still have that support. They still have those fans who care about the program. And um, they gave up 642 total yards to Georgia Southern to a middling team in the Sun Belt. That's a problem. I, that just can't happen. I know Georgia Southern's a respected program uh, as far as like mid-majors are concerned. It's not a terrible team, but it's not. This is an Appalachian State that, hap- that this happened against. Um, three games in three weeks, they decided, I, bring this, I talked about this last week. I'm going to bring it up again. They decided to not take the week off after the Ireland game. You know, you saw it took Northwestern a little bit to get back on track against Duke, and they took the week off. You know, they never recouped from going across the sea. Uh, Just some decisions that were made that just make absolutely no sense. And when you see 10 penalties, you know, in a game like that also, there you go. That's the difference. It was a three-point game. That's the difference in your game. Not having your head screwed on right. So one betting rule that I have is stay away from passion games. And what I consider a passion game is this game. Whenever the coach gets fired and the interim coach is in for the following week and they're playing a rival, this is a passion game. I do not bet on passion games. So Oklahoma will be at Nebraska at 11 a.m. An old Big 8 matchup. They used to have so many big rival, big rivalry games over the years. Uh, Brent Venables is the new head coach at Oklahoma. They kind of sleepwalked through their game against Kent State last week. Um, the Oklahoma offensive line and defensive backfield is a little banged up. Dylan Gabriel's pretty solid QB. I mean, they're solid across the board, 
Marvin Mims is kind of the big guy you want to look out for. But uh, this is going to be an interesting game to see how these players respond. Because it can go two ways. Either they play their hearts out or they just quit. And we're just going to find out which one it is. And, you know, I've given you a little bit of a prediction, <laughs> a little bit of a prediction on each of these games. And I haven't given you one on that one. And you can probably figure out why. I, I, I don't touch these games with a 10-foot pole because it's really tough to gauge. You're talking about kids that are in college. They've just had a, a big thing happen. And you never know how college kids are going to react to a situation like that. So uh, we'll see what happens. And we'll be keeping tabs of what's taking place in Nebraska throughout the year. Michigan had a pretty impressive 56-10 to 10 pounding over Hawaii. Uh, J.J. McCarthy was 11 of 12 for 229, three touchdowns, and he pretty much made the case that uh, he is going to be the uh, next quarterback at Michigan. Uh, Cade McNamara, it was nice knowing you, but I mentioned before, this has the vibes of what happened in San Francisco with Harbaugh earlier and another quarterback shift that took place. And J.J. seems to fill the needs of what Jim's looking for. And uh, I think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see we're going to see Michigan take that next leap uh, as a team under him. Uh, and and this is just you know this is just by word of mouth. And I heard this from a close friend of mine who coaches high school football in Illinois, and being in the Western Burbs, also from some people that have watched games in the Catholic League that uh, live in the Western Burbs around here that J.J. McCarthy, with all of the quarterbacks that a lot of these old-timers have seen over the years in the Chicago area, you know, you know, if it be a, a Chuck, Chuck Long or a Kent Graham, I'm just throwing names out there, but um, that that's the best quarterback that they've ever seen, that they think J.J. McCarthy is the best quarterback that they've seen in the Chicagoland area in quite some time. So uh, I don't know what that means, but uh, there's a lot of faith with them. Now, they've got UConn this week, and UConn, Returned 15 starters from a 1-11 team. It's a team that plays under coach Jim Mora, the former Falcon and Seahawk coach. And they play with a lot of passion. The problem is there's just not a lot of talent. So it's actually the perfect start, I think, for JJ uh, to get a try-hard team like the Huskies. Um, you know, this is a, a, a school that's only been to one bowl since the Fiesta Bowl in 2010. And um, it's going to be a good opportunity to see kind of what he has. Uh, they were drubbed by Syracuse. Uh, they kept it competitive for a little bit in their first game of the year against Utah State. But um, I think Michigan's going to hand it to them. This should be a pretty comfortable win for them. And uh, we'll be able to review that next week as well. Another game review in the Big Ten, the last one that I've got on the docket here, Indiana taking care of Idaho, 35-22. to This was kind of a scary game. And maybe this shows where Washington State's at. Washington State barely beat Idaho the previous week. Idaho was actually driving for the tying score and threw an interception. And uh, the Vandals had a 10 to nothing lead at the half. And uh, IU was able to respond. And no matter what right now, because of how bad last year went and the bad taste in your mouth you have as a Hoosiers fan, right now wins are wins. So for them to come back was actually maybe kind of nice. It wasn't that feeling of, oh no, here we go again. Everything we worked for, the win over Illinois last week, nothing's going to matter. They wound up winning fairly comfortably, 35-22. to 22. I don't think anybody is sold on Basilic yet. Um, and I don't think anybody's sold on their game next week. You know, they, that is not an easy win. And they found that out last year 
when they barely beat Western Kentucky last season. And the toppers are returning 11 starters uh, from a nine and five team. Seven of those players are on defense. Uh, and the, Western Kentucky hasn't really played anybody. They're 2-0, and but they've played two really bad teams. They're predicted to be around fourth in Conference USA. Uh, solid receiving core, which is usual for them. But they do have a somewhat improved defense, uh, which they're really not known for. Um, uh, you know, in these uh, projections that I see, I think it had uh, the Hoosiers favored by six and a half. Uh, but there's a lot of projections that show Western actually winning this game. Uh, and I would not be surprised if Western came out and was able to win this game. I think one thing for the Hoosiers after watching some of this Idaho game, keeping it simple, right? You have a new quarterback. Stop trying to force him to do too much. Keep it simple. It's like they went from one extreme to another. They had such a predictable offense last year, and they went from that really predictable offense to, it feels like trying to give Basilic a little too much. He's got to be able to make those simple throws, and he's got to be a little bit more consistent. And if he's not, it's going to be tough for Indiana to win this game. So um, looking forward to Western at Indiana taking place next week as well. So it should be an interesting week of games, a, a fun week of games that's coming up. And uh, one thing that we also wanted to review, because this is the Midwest football extravaganza that we talk about here, we wanted to talk about that Marshall victory over Notre Dame. Uh the Thundering Herd took care of the Irish 26-21, to 21, and uh, they were fast, and they hit hard, and they did it for four quarters. Um, and a lot of the same questions that I had in week one, I'm having after week two, and I feel like I'm going to have them after week three as well. The Irish are going to host Cal next week. Um, in this game, uh, what, one thing that I'm going to need from Tommy Reese is for him to understand who he has at quarterback, and that his quarterbacks have different limitations. If you're a Chicago Bears fan, you already went through this with Matt Nagy last year. There are offensive coordinators who are experts in their offense, but don't know how to adjust to the personnel that's on their team. I'm going to say it again. They are experts in their offense, but they don't know how to adjust to the personnel that's on their team. And this is the vibe that I'm getting from Tommy Reese and Buckner and unfortunately, probably coming soon, Drew Pine. These are not the same types of quarterback that we had with Ian Book, right? Um, This is not the same type of offense that you could run with other quarterbacks. So Tommy Reese is going to have to make an adjustment. He's going to have to make an adjustment based on the limitations of these QBs. For some reason... They're not interested in running Tyree. They're not interested in, uh, it certainly doesn't look like this great offensive line that we heard so much about during the year. I'm not seeing it. Marshall at times controlled the line of scrimmage. The great defensive line that was supposed to be the, uh, the backbone of the Notre Dame defense. Do you see it? I didn't see it. I saw Marshall control that line on both sides of the ball in many occasions during that game. Uh, it kind of leaves me a little speechless. Now, I said before the year, Notre Dame had no business being number five. You cannot return a team where you lost your quarterback, you lost your top running back, and you lost your top receivers. And you're coming back and saying, we should be just as good as where we were last year. That makes absolutely no sense. You returned what? 
six starters on either side of the ball. Now, if you were returning 18 starters and maybe some of your big skill guys were gone, I could see that. But you're putting this team on the same level as some of those other teams trying to win a national title. It, it, it just didn't add up. It didn't add up at all. You have a quarterback who's having to, to really kind of take the load on his shoulders and adjust to this new environment with a new head coach. I don't see it. Michael Mayer is not enough. The running ability of your quarterback is not enough. You know, Samson is one of the big writers for Notre Dame said in one of his tweets, you know, now we're getting to see why what we thought from this Notre Dame offense. You know, the fact that they've got this, you know, stalwart tight end and these great running quarterbacks. That is not enough to finish in the top 10 of the country. What in God's name were these people smoking when they put this team at number five? I need to make sure that anybody who voted for this team in the top, I'd say 12, is not allowed within 100 feet of a collegiate football stadium. There's no way that you could have looked at that roster and said, oh, I tell you what, this is going to be one of the top teams in the country. Absolutely, positively not. Just not that great of a football team. Now, when this is all said and done, and I said this before the year, what did I tell you guys? I said, don't be surprised if this is an eight and four, nine and three team, and people shouldn't view that as a failure of a season. Well, guess what? Now we're praying for an eight and four or nine and three team. Because if you saw what USC did last week, do you feel comfortable Notre Dame's going to beat them? When you see what Clemson did, do you feel, even though they played a subpar game, that they're going to be able to beat them? I'm not sure about this week against Cal. What are they even going to do on the offensive side of the ball? How are they going to move the ball down the field? They play a lot of true home games this year. I don't feel comfortable that they can win them. They gave up 219 yards on the ground to Marshall. To Marshall in a game where Marshall spent a chunk of it playing from behind or when the game was close. This wasn't a situation where Marshall was running the whole time because they were up by three touchdowns. They gave up 219 yards on the ground. They threw three picks. They lost the turnover game three to nothing. Obviously, that huge third down was a big decision, a big moment in the game when Notre Dame was up 15 to 12. And everybody talks about that third and long that Marshall converted in their own end down 15 to 12. Let me tell you that that was not the that was not the big moment of the game. The big moment of the game was when Notre Dame got the ball back up 15 to 12 and Tommy Reese thought his quarterback was Joe Flippin' Montana. Okay? This guy called plays as if Buckner was going to the Hall of Fame. You have the lead. You supposedly have this great offensive line. Uh, we've been reading all about it. You supposedly have these great running backs. Why are you throwing the ball on second down? Why are you throwing the ball on first down? Run the football. I, I can't get over. I mean, really, and Freeman's got to walk in the room and say, hey, I know I'm kind of overseeing the defense right now, but this has to change. We got to get back to old school Notre Dame football and pound the rock and blowing people off the ball. And if we can't do that, we're in some serious trouble. So not looking good for Notre Dame. And I don't feel good about the game coming up against Cal this week as well. Um, as far as the Mac is concerned, you know, things are kind of what we saw before and kind of what we saw before in the Missouri Valley football conference as well. There wasn't too many uh, big shakeups in there. Although I will say nice win by South Dakota State. Uh, I believe they were able to beat UC Davis, so a good win for them. And I kind of stick by it. I think Missouri State is going to be really good. Uh, they're going to be up there. So uh, it's going to be North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Missouri State. 
And then it's going to be a mishmash. Uh, Northern Iowa, I think, should be up there. I think North Dakota and South Dakota will be okay. I think Southern's going to take a bit of a dip. And then the rest of the schools are going to be behind them as well. Won't be the best year for Western or for Indiana State. I do think Illinois State's going to be a little bit better than what people think. And then if you look at the MAC, I mentioned before, my big teams in the MAC are still Northern and Toledo. Those are the top two teams uh, to keep an eye on. And uh, they've been at it before, so we'll see where they're at going forward. Other national news, you know, obviously Texas A&M had the big loss. And you just get the feeling right now, especially with Alabama's struggles, Georgia is just the key team. They look like an NFL team, and it looks like everybody else is just change, uh, chasing them right now. And the big question, really, from the Big Ten standpoint is, can a Michigan or Ohio State play against the top-tier teams from outside the Big Ten and win games? And we're going to just find out those questions or have a better feel for it, I think, as the year goes on. USC impressed me over the weekend. Uh, Kentucky really impressed me over the weekend. So, hey, for you NIU fans, they're going to be facing Kentucky in a couple of weeks. So we're going to we're going to find out more about them as well. Uh, I'll be giving out some Bears thoughts as well in these upcoming weeks. I'll have a little section on Bears thoughts in the Midwest uh, in the Midwest football cavalcade. So make sure to subscribe to that and tell your friends. I'm at Twitter. My address is at Dooley Football. So go to Dooley Football on Twitter, just capital D, capital F, Dooley Football, and follow me on Twitter. And I've got great football thoughts when I go there as well. So we'll be developing some stuff over the upcoming weeks. So make sure to keep your eyes open and ears awake. I don't even know what that means. And we'll be talking more about these games uh, in the upcoming weeks as well. Uh, so I'll be trying to release these a little bit earlier. Wednesday's a little bit later than when I want to release this uh, this podcast. I'd like to move it up more towards Monday and Tuesday. But um, uh, happy football to everybody. And if you have any inquiries on the podcast, give me a shout out uh, when you go to Dooley Football on Twitter. So make sure you follow me there. You guys have a great rest of the week. I will talk to you soon. Good luck to your teams. Good luck to the Big Ten, the MAC, and the Valley in the upcoming week. And guess what's next week? Conference play. We're going to go over some conference previews. Oh, my goodness. It's so exciting. So I will talk to you guys soon. Have a great rest of the week, and I'll talk with you later. Bye-bye.